0: So we're talking about the cost of the kingdom, what costs this kingdom. In the economy of the kingdom of God, both greatness and leadership are evaluated on the basis of servanthood. I want to say that again. In the economy of the kingdom, both greatness and leadership are evaluated on the basis of servanthood. And Jesus is quite emphatic about this. In Matthew twenty three eleven, he says this, The greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Now, why is this? Because the kingdom of God is up against the kingdom of darkness. And the age to come, the kingdom age, is invasive to this present evil age. So Jesus, when dealing with leadership issues with his disciples, compares styles, motives, and agendas of two distinct systems, light and darkness, and then offers his own lifestyle as the model in Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the rulers of this present age, lord it over them. Now, I, I was thinking about, anyone ever see that, um, that movie with Russell Crowe, Gladiator? Right Now, now here, here's this guy. He's serving Caesar, right? He's a general. And so a new Caesar comes along, and he l- loses favor. And the new Caesar says to his praetorian guard, go and kill this general's wife and son. And without a second thought, they get on their horses and they drive out to his farm and they ride right over the kid with their horses and crucify the wife and set her on fire. I mean, just like that. So when Jesus says that (laughs) the Gentiles lorded over them, this is the extent of what he's talking about. It's not just that, you know, uh, we have to pay taxes or, dang, I don't like that liberal, you know, way that Obama is or, you know, all of this stuff. No, no, no. Jesus is talking about extremes here, okay? And the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, you, mu- you must be your servant, And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man, here he is presenting his own life as the example, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there are two distinct elements to the leadership servant model as portrayed by Christ. First, he came to serve. Then beyond that, to give his life away. Certainly servanthood in the kingdom of God is not extraordinary. It is the expected norm. Look at Luke 17, 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline a table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? And dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? You, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. It's not a big deal in the kingdom to be a servant. That is not to say that the servant's service goes without notice or reward from the Lord. In Luke nineteen seventeen, again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. How would you catch that? Not just a little, in very little. It doesn't take much. To please the Lord. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So the balance of very little in ten cities is enormous. I mean, the reward is so far greater than the task performed that it, it really is quite out of balance but there is a mindset that develops from a servant's heart that brings us beyond the mundane and into what the scripture calls our reasonable service. Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't that what Jesus said? I came as a servant and to give my life as a ransom. Present yourselves... Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or as some versions say, your reasonable service. Reasonable service equates to spiritual worship in the kingdom. When you serve the Lord in the mundane, he receives that action as an expression of worship to him. It's as valuable to him as our songs are on Sunday morning. Pick up a box of groceries and deliver it to a needy family on Thanksgiving. Spend a moment with them. Pray with them. It's like incense coming up to the Lord. He's just delighting in it. He's saying, well done, well done. Servanthood is reasonable because it is the mind of Christ, which is available to us through the Holy Spirit working in us. Philippians 2.5 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, if you can wrap your noodle around that, that the living God, you know, i we think it's amazing. You know, behold, a child is given Christmas. We celebrate. God put on flesh, you know, came and dwelt among us. But it's so far, so much more than that. that. When he put on flesh, the choice that he made was that he would live out that fleshly life as a servant. The king of the whole universe, in the midst of a transition for those who were supposed to be serving him, decides to serve them. taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. A- and uh, you got to understand this is not a step up for him. Right? This was not a promotion. Oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I get to be a human. <laughs> right. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Therefore, because he was a servant, because he gave himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There's that out-of-balance reward. Now listen to this. Again, this is Jesus speaking in John 12. If anyone serves me, He must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, uh, listen to this. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Whoa, Whoa. now we saw how the Father honored Jesus. Hmm. Jesus wants his servants to receive from the Father all that he received. Doesn't Paul say we are seated in heavenly places with Christ? That is the honoring from the Father to us. So what did this servanthood look like in practical terms? Let me show you the very essence of servanthood in Luke 22:41. It says talking about Jesus as he's approaching the cross. and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw into the Garden of Gethsemane, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Now, the cup is the cross that is before him. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There is the defining statement of a servant's heart. Not my will, but yours be done obedience obedience to the will of the one you serve obedience in the kingdom of God equals participation with God in the things of the kingdom here's an example for us in John 2 1 on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants. I know she didn't say anything to the disciples. She said it to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. Can I say that to you as servants today? Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, the servants, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, And he did did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. Whatever he tells you, do. This is servanthood. Now watch how it works. Jesus orders the servants. The servants fill the water pots. The servants filled the pitchers. The servants took it to the host. It's the servants, by their obedience, who are getting to do the stuff. Jesus simply issues the command. Now, here's the clincher. Because of their obedience, the servants knew. They had the heads up, the inside scoop on the kingdom of God. No one else knew what was going on, but the servants knew. Amos 3 seven says this for the Lord God does nothing does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants the prophets do you want to know what God is going to be doing? don't go after the prophetic go after servanthood you' like that <laughs> I'm glad you got that. (laughs) Yeah. But the highest calling for a servant is not to minister for their Lord, but to minister to their Lord. This always comes out of an extreme circumstance and at a high cost. In Ezekiel 44.10, this is the story. uh, The Lord, through Ezekiel, is addressing the priesthood. At Jerusalem and he says this but the Levites that's the priestly class who went far from me going astray from me after their idols when Israel went astray shall bear their punishment now here's their punishment they shall minister in my sanctuary having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple they shall slaughter the burnt offerings and sacrifice for the people and they shall stand before the people to minister to them. That's their punishment. Because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord God, and they shall bear their punishment. They shall not come near to me. to serve me as priest. Oh yeah, they can do the mundane, they can serve the people, they can keep the gates, they can slaughter the animals, but they're not coming to me. Nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple, to do all its service and all that is to be done in it. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and shall keep my charge, the faithful servant ministers to the Lord. And you can be a minister to the people of God. And as Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. He goes on about the sons of Zadok. Listen to this in Ezekiel 44. They shall have no inheritance. I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession in Israel I am their possession in other words you give up ownership of everything how many of you women would give up a bottle of expensive perfume to bless the Lord you do that hmm. okay okay good all right, right you Good New Testament company. Consider this scripture scriptures, Jesus is heading toward the cross and his bid to give it all for the sake of mankind in John 12. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Now watch the different levels of relational interaction. Martha served. This is good, right? Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. So there's fellowship, conversation, breaking of bread. All good, right? But watch as Mary pushes the envelope. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now here is a genuine expression of sacrificial love and servanthood. And it is very touching for sure, but I think we often miss the real depth of the act that Mary performed and the divine insight she possessed concerning the intimacy and the inbreaking of the kingdom, because it goes on to say, and she wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume." Now listen to this and see if you catch the impact of it. 1 Corinthians 11, 15. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. So what did Mary do? She surrendered her wealth to Jesus, a pound of nard humbled herself as a foot-washing servant, then laid her glory at his feet and allowed herself to be uncovered and vulnerable before him as an act of ultimate trust and love. And it doesn't stop there with just Mary. In Mark 14, he gives an account. It's now two days before the Passover. Mary was six days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Uh, Simon the leper was a leper that Jesus had healed. As he was reclining at table, that means he was eating, a woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. So you can always be a servant. Always. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you. Now listen to this reward. And truly I say to you. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. In other words, Jesus said, I was so impacted by her love that I'm going to proclaim this for the rest of eternity as part of my eternal word. So in the first act, we see Mary performing the lowliest servant's task there is, cleaning the feet of a visitor. But more than that, she does it at the cost of not only the perfume, but of her own glory. And it fills the room with the atmosphere of heaven. It doesn't say anything about the fragrance until after she utilizes her hair to wash his feet. In the second instance, we see a woman destroying the vial containing the perfume, thus depriving her of any opportunity of retaining any for personal use and finds herself permanently embedded in the eternal word of God. How many of us who are willing to give up our fragrances would be willing to pay the price to serve at this level? any How many of you make over $20,000 a year? Anyone make over 30 to 50,000 a year? Okay. What if he said to you the cost of ministering the fragrance of your life to him would be a single year's earnings? might be a year on the missions field might be a year living in an inner city ministering to street people it doesn't mean that you'd have to turn over your paycheck as a tithe or an offering it might mean living a different lifestyle a lifestyle of servanthood remember the scripture in Mark 14 there were some who said to themselves indignantly Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. 300 denarii was a solid year's wages. And this is an extreme sacrifice, and there are a thousand good reasons not to make it, but only one reason why we should. You see, entering the kingdom as a servant is giving your all and appreciation for all that was given to you. The problem arises when all becomes more than we thought it would or should be. How many of you sing that song, All for Jesus? but I believe that we are able to give all of ourselves and go farther in the Lord than we ever imagined possible if our motivation is right and we understand that we really are co-laborers with God. I'll read to you in closing Hebrews 6, 10 through 20 from the message. God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him by helping needy Christians, and that you keep at it. And now I want each of you to extend that same intensity towards a full-bodied hope and keep at it till the finish. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. When God made his promise to Abraham. He backed it to the hilt. Putting his own reputation on the line, he said, I promise that I'll bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and bless. Abraham stuck it out and got everything that had been promised to him. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them so that if there is any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back them up. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God, where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us after the order of Melchizedek. And Perhaps the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you as of late, calling you to go deeper in Christ. And I know that we offer a lot of opportunities for training and equipping, but don't overlook the power of service. Don't overlook the impact of servanthood. The poor we always have among us, so we always have a source of blessing to receive from God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we just ask you, oh God, to speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we're all at different places in relationship to you, these times of our lives, Lord. Lord, of laying things down, of picking things up, or pursuing this or pursuing that, of making sure we have adequate supply of this or that, O God. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, if, if in any way, shape, or form we are neglecting your heart, that you would reveal that to us this morning. Lord, if in any way, shape, or form we are overlooking opportunities to serve the least of these and, and to find you in the midst of them, for you've written it in Matthew 25, wherever you do this to the least of these, you do it to me, oh God. You constantly create opportunities for us to express our love to you so that you can give good gifts to us in return, oh God. You're an awesome, awesome God. Father, I pray for divine revelation for those that you're calling to a deeper level of sacrificial giving of their lives, of their time, of their resources, oh God. Father, that you would bring clarity to the call, that you would bring provision, oh God, that did lack no good thing in serving you, oh God. Lord, it was you who provided for those servants at the wedding feast to, to give the best wine at the end, oh God. Lord, provide for those who have come to serve you, Holy Spirit, come. I know this is a, a topic that always uh, causes individuals to wrestle internally. Consider the things that they have to give up in order to go on with the Lord. It's it's hard decisions. But when you when you hear directly from the Lord, it just seems to have a way of erasing the question marks. You know, I can tell you this stuff all day long. Won't mean squat.